This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play. That is that. What a good shot. Goal. My credit foul. Far post for Shearer. Goal. I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cragway! How are you doing? All right. I am very well, and thank you very much for agreeing to take part. No problem. My absolute pleasure. Fantastic, and congratulations for raising that money for charity at the start of this lockdown. Yeah, thanks very much. Just uh, thought I could try and give a little bit back, considering I don't really have much here as it is, but maybe a little helps, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. And how are you finding the lockdown at the moment? Initially, at the start, it was all right, but it's, I'll be honest, it's grinding on me a bit now. I find Saturday's tough, to be honest. I've just... Football's like robots, aren't we? We just, I suppose, so everyone like we're, we're just drilled into certain habits, and when you get took out of those habits, then you start coming out of your comfort zone, and it, it becomes a bit weird, doesn't it? Two o'clock on a Saturday when the teams are announced, that's where suddenly it sort of clicks in, and you're like, oh bloody hell, another week, and it's and oh shit, it. <laughs> as <laughs> it's bad, it's it's just mind numbing that. Like just the other day, I just I was still speak to lads and that. But just the other day, would have been the last game on it, and then you just think, I went back to like 2012 and we won the league. I'm thinking that could have been a game, but oh well, you never know. It could still it can still happen, can it? It can still happen. I mean, a question we had from Taze85. He says, "What impact does the pandemic 
uh, or what impact do you think the uh, pandemic will have on footballers? Will they look for more stability and things like that? Do you think it's going to be just business as usual once this is uh, all over? Or I think eventually it will be. It might take a bit of time, but I, I generally think the business is, is normal. I know it's, it's hard for me to say the financial side. I don't know how, how it works, but you know yourself, Richard, the money, especially from the top, is it's ridiculous. So even if a tenth of that, disappears it's still it's still going to be ridiculous figures thrown about I can't see Premier League players signing with big clubs for 40-50 grand a week can you it's still no. going to be 150 to up to half a million a week at some some clubs so honestly I don't know but I, I think there might be an impact for lower down like in the level we're at at the moment I think that there could be an impact there but that remains to be seen Do you hand on heart do you think the season will finish? The longer it goes on the more doubt I have to yeah. be honest, the quieter it is, it always seems to be the quieter something is. Like the longer it's quiet, then the more you you start to think, oh, is this really going to happen? But as far as we're concerned, we've we've been told we'll we'll be back in training the sixteenth of May until we're told otherwise. So mm. that's where we stand. So that's the the date we have in mind so far. Mm. Okay, well let's start with the standard question that I always ask, and that is, of course, who did you support when you were a kid, and who were your childhood heroes? I was a Celtic fan, born and bred. My, my family are all Celtic fans, but I stay in a the, the area I'm from is quite it's populated by Rangers. So it was it was difficult for me when I was younger when I signed for Celtic and stuff like that. It was <laughs> it was t- it was tough, like uh, just silly things like your your car would get egged and stuff like that. But that was all part of part of growing up. Uh, my hero was was Henrik Larsson. I loved Henrik Larsson, obviously because I was a Celtic fan, but I used to just just think the guy was amazing. He's, he scored some unbelievable goals, and and uh, yeah, he was my hero and, and Celtic on my team. He stayed too long, didn't he? He stayed at Celtic too long. He probably did. I think <laughs> I watched his interview the other day, and he's talking about when he went to, when he went to uh, Barcelona. He went to Man United, and, and I just think he's got too much respect for Celtic to to come out and say I, I should have probably left a year, two years earlier. What's your earliest memories of playing football in Kilmarnock and then starting to be noticed by by teams? Well, I was very young. I, I remember I started playing when I was about six or seven. In my one of my first games, I remember getting a bust nose, and and that was me. I was terrified. I, I didn't go back to football for about a year, eighteen months. I just I was a little pussy to be honest with you. I was a little soft kid. Uh, I didn't want to go back, and then. Eventually, my mates and that started going back and stuff like that. So, you ended up just joining in with them. Uh, and it just became an obsession, really. I was just obsessed with it. I played morning to night. Uh, and I started that. I played with a couple of local teams. And then I, I went to actually, believe it or not, I was, I was at Rangers before I was at Celtic. Yeah. Rangers wanted to, to take me in full time. But I was a Celtic fan. And, and the, I went to Celtic. But the first year I went to Celtic, I always... I lived in regret. I thought I, don't know. I just felt as if when it was when it was young at Celtic, it was a bit too serious. It was all about proper coaching stuff like that, rather than whereas at Rangers, it was a bit when you were young, it was just about enjoying it. And I just felt it was a I lived a bit of, a bit of regret the first six months to a year when I went to Celtic, and, and that's hand on heart. But then obviously I grew on to to go full time in that, and I loved it. Yeah, because it's a bit different in Scotland how they do it in England, I think. And I quite like the way they do it in Scotland. Is you were with an affiliate club, weren't you? Um, yeah. Air- Ayrshire Rangers, wasn't it? Basically, all the best players in the, the Ayrshire region will play with Ayrshire Rangers and then 
there's the the Glasgow region, there's there's other regions, but they're the main two. So it came about when so basically you play with the Ayrshire Rangers, and if you do well there, then you go to which is the Glasgow Rangers, which is the proper Rangers. So we we used to play friendlies against them, and believe it or not, that we played a friendly outside the uh, Ibrox Stadium, right outside it. There's a a four G pitch there. We played a friendly, and I scored a hat trick. We drew three each with them, and I scored a hat trick from that like high up in the stadium, away up in Rosehead or whatever. Dick Advocat was the manager at the time and was watching, and he had a, a guy called Jan Dirks who was the head of youth development, and they took an interest in me straight away, and and it was it was, it was mental to be honest. That they they uh, they asked the the Ayrshire Rangers manager if I could start making making plans to go up to to the actual Rangers and, and, and I went there and I was there for four or five years and I loved it with a little guy called Tommy McLean was, was a little <laughs> old school he was, do, you, do you know Tommy McLean no? I, I know of Tom McLean yeah 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 a little old school little fucking maniac like quite tough in that but I enjoyed it he, he took a liking to me as well and I loved it I absolutely loved it I mean, he played for Rangers himself, didn't he? In the uh, yeah, yeah, he's a Rangers man. He was at Dundee United and that as well. But I think I think he might have played the Rangers eye, but he was a proper like bitter Rangers man as the as the world back then. <laughs> How did the family take you playing for Rangers? Oh, no problem at all. I was not one, no problems at all. I've got three brothers that are, that are mad Celtic fans, but they're they're like we're very very close. We're, we're tight, so it was not it was just the fact that I was getting to play with a professional football team. Like yeah. even at that age, it was like, wow, that's my brother or whatever. And I just kind of took it my stride, just got on with it. it was you just that's like probably the upbringing I've got. You just you just got on with it. You don't like you've not been. I've not been brought up with loads and loads and blessed with loads of staying. I, like I was brought up in a, a rough area. It's they've made a program out there that I've worked in. It's that bad. <laughs> Called the scheme. Oh yes, the scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The scheme. So, that's yeah. where I'm from. Oh that's my where goodness. I'm from. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, I've got. I'm fascinated by. I watch Scottish football. My my cousin Mikey. He's from Edinburgh. He supports Hibs. And right. I know over the years, I've known Glas. I've known um, Celtic fans. I've known Rangers fans. And I don't know if it's because they're away from Glasgow, Scotland, but. The intensity of the hatred towards each other, forgetting just purely on a football side, is is absolutely nuts. When you, I mean, it's it's crazy, isn't it? But when it when you've had a foot in both camps, did that sort of like make it sort of like this is a bit daft, isn't it, guys? You know, because you had a good experience at Rangers, you had a good experience at Celtic. Yeah. So did it sort of dilute the rivalry a little bit for you as a player? Uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. No, no, it didn't. It. It's uh, when I was a, a when I was Rangers when I was younger. We we used to get invited to like the the cup finals and stuff like that. And and I remember one cup final we went to. I was only about 14, 13, 14 and I was obviously sitting the Rangers end. And I remember uh, Celtic scoring in the last minute. I think it was to make it three. Just it was going to extra times. Bobo Baldy, I think scored. And I remember going to the toilet and into the cubicle and like silently like cheering mad <laughs> absolutely buzzing so that's always there whether you're with them or not but the mad thing is I found out when I got older and I got into the Celtic first team and stuff like that a lot of the a lot of the players are really a lot of the players are really close like there's the captain right now Scott Brown at Celtic is best mates with two Rangers lads that are no longer there Kevin Thompson and Stephen Whitaker yeah. who are his best mates they are like his closest mates so it's 
it's all outside it. And I, I think it's calmed down now. You're talking back when I was young, like when I was a young boy, like 25, 30 years ago. It was people, it was people dying over these fixtures. It was absolutely mental. Yeah. People get murdered in the street, and you just think, for fuck's sake, it's football. I know it's intense, and it's ninety minutes. Just calm down, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yes, quite. So you you moved to Celtic. Well, firstly, how how did you move to Celtic from Rangers? Did they just put in an offer for you, and you went right? See you later, guys, or were you let go by Rangers? Uh, no, I was Rangers. Tommy McLean came to my house and asked me to ask me to like take the next step to go. It's like an S form. It's just the the one under uh, under a full time. Mm. So you were still at school, but you were basically getting s- small steps to becoming full time. And uh, I was happy with that. But then uh, Tommy Burns, who was the head of youth at Celtic at the time, you obviously play against each other and stuff like that during the season. Had uh, had asked if I'd like to go in there for just to train to start with and, and take it for there. And obviously, my eyes just lit up because it was Celtic. It was like, that's unbelievable. I'm 100% going there. And at the time, see if it was 10 years later and I was a little bit more wiser and stuff like that, I'd have probably said, no, I'm happy where I am. He's going to stay here. But because it was Celtic, I thought, oh, fucking hell, I need to do this. And I was absolutely buzzing and Tommy Burns as well. Tommy, Tommy Burns has done like a lot for my football career, but that was later on in life. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Burns, if you listen to any of like Simon's podcasts that he's done with me or the ones that Simon does for Open Goal, yeah. every time Tommy Burns is mentioned, it, it's he, he is such a pivotal figure in so many Celtic young players' careers, isn't it? wasn't he? Yeah. If you go back, as I was going back to the other, like 25, 30 years ago, and people were dying over this hatred. Tommy was like amongst all that. He, he played then, he managed then. And the thing that epitomises me for Tommy Burns is the people that carry Tommy Burns' coffin is two of the biggest Rangers men you'll ever come across, and it's Alan McCoy and Walter Smith. And the two of them was a, a coffin bearer for Tommy Burns at his funeral. Mm. So for me, that's, that says absolutely everything. He's loved by Celtic fans. He's respected by Rangers fans. You don't get that. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. And uh, he was just a, you know, he was an unbelievable figure. He's, he's done a lot for... For obviously myself and Simon and and Scott Cuthbert and stuff like that, the ones that came through full time and and uh, oh, he's been he's been unbelievable for us. So, and there were quite a few players from from your youth setup at um, Celtic that made it through, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Well, my actual age, we kind of combined ages, so the under 17s and the 19s ended up going as going as a group. So there was myself, there was Scott Cuthbert. Obviously, Simon Ferry, Paul McGowan still playing at uh, Dundee. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. There was a few. Was the McGlinchey there? Michael McGlinchey, yeah. Yeah. Michael McGlinchey, I think, still out in New Zealand right now. He's out that way anyway. But, uh, yeah, there was was a few. There was Dermot Carroll went on to play uh, in Ireland and stuff like that. So, there was a good group. There was... Celtic were always renowned for bringing players through the youth system. Always. There was was a good seven, eight, nine years where there would be 25 to 30 players at least playing first-team football within that period of time. And that was all down to Tommy Burns. Just He knew everything about the club. He knew how, how you had to be successful there. He knew what it'd take to be there, to get there. And he always used to, used to always stick with you. Tommy would always say, if you think it's difficult getting in the first team, it's even harder to stay in there. Yeah. So that was always like your drive to try and get there. But then getting there, was, as, as I found it, end up, it's, it's, it's harder to stay there. There'll be questions in regards to Simon Ferry, the uh, 
the character a bit later on. But I think what a lot of people forget or didn't, or, you know, weren't aware of is when he was coming through Celtic before he got injured, he was a serious, serious prospect, oh. wasn't he? See, this is, I tell Sai this as well, and a lot of people will, Sai will hide behind his character at times, because he's, he's, he's the best character, everybody will say he's the best character in football, but Sai was a hell of a player. A hell of a player. He was absolutely brilliant. Even before his ankle injury, eh, even after his ankle injury, sorry. Now, that year when obviously he done really well and got the playoff final with, with Swindon, but then the year under the can, he was out. He was, I've known him since I've been what, 12, and he's, he's a hell of a player. He, he was really, he was brilliant. He could have been anything, but mm. unfortunately, his, his ankle injury just didn't seem to go away, and he just kept picking it up. And sometimes that just happens in a, in a, in a player's career. Well, you made it into the Celtic first team in what 2007-8 season, playing a handful of games for Gordon Strachan. Um, what was, was it like being managed by Gordon Strachan? Because he's great to listen to, even if you don't agree with him. He's quite, he's quite the, <laughs> the personality, oh, isn't he? <laughs> Honestly, he fucking terrorised me. <laughs> terrorised me every single day. He used to just like... We'd just do sessions and we'd do a crossing, a crossing and finishing session and there'd be me and there'd be the lad Mark Wilson who was who was play, the, the, the right back at the time who was senior to me and we'd put in, put in a cross it would go fucking 30 feet over the bar <laughs> shanked it I would do a cross two seconds later I'd whip it into I remember putting them in for I'd done one I put a cross in for John Hartson and I put it at probably about volley height and he's volleyed it into the into the corner and Strachan's going fucking mental at me does he look as if he's a player that wants to fucking volley the ball put it in the fucking air and just let him head it just went mad at me and then he was just on me non-stop he came here we, were, we trained one day before a, a Champions League game he used to train at Celtic Park so training at Celtic Park and another we used to do us cross and finish every day before, a, day before a game and I used to get so nervous at it because I knew he, he used to just stand behind me and just monitor everything I'd done and I was a bag of nerves and there was one I put, I was on fire, I was putting unbelievable balls in, and then I shanked one. And I can't remember, it must have went behind the goal or something. He's just come up, just nice and quiet and timid. And that. Caddy, is this too big for you, this, this stadium? Do you want to just, just go in the tunnel? It's just between me and you. You can just walk down the tunnel, pal. He was just on me non-stop. <laughs> but then he, he obviously seen something in me because he played me in, in big games. And But I remember when he left, he, he, he was the first one to... He phoned me like within minutes of him and he said, Listen, I was hard on you for a reason because I can see something in you and I'm see if I'm not shouting at you, that's when you need to worry. He was just on me on start, he said, So there's a reason that I played you in this game, there's a reason I done this, there's a reason I done that. So and and I still keep in touch with him, so it just shows you but it sounds like those sort of old school canny hackett sort of tactics, probably from the Ferguson oh, school. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like I remember I played, uh, it was like, it was my birthday actually, April 19th, we played against Aberdeen, we were two points, yeah, well, two, two points in front of Rangers, Rangers had just won the early kick-off, so, sorry, Rangers went a point in front, Rangers had won the early kick-off, and we played Aberdeen, and Aberdeen were decent then, and, and uh, Andy Hinkle come off at half-time, and striking, I've been shouted in at half-time, I think, fucking hell, it was only like four games left of the season, five games left of the season, so it was a big game, I came on, and we we uh, we won we won one nil, but in the, the last kick of the ball, somebody put the ball uh, right across the goal, beat at all our defence, and I've just come in at the back post at the last second and got the slightest touch away from their striker to tap it in, and 
that like, I was buzzing. I was thinking, I've just that's that's as good as a goal. So that was fine. Nothing was said, and after the game, I went and nothing was said. Then it wasn't until the next week we put. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was about three weeks down the line. We played Aberdeen again in a cup game. It was like the semi final, the couple of final of the cup, and uh, he was showing clips of the, the previous game we played again. And then he saw the clip and go, Caddy, did I tell you you done well three weeks ago against Aberdeen? And I'd just be embarrassed to say no, but I'd be like, yeah, yeah. He was like, okay, play. Just one of the characters, and you think this guy's constantly blowing my mind. He was absolutely brutal. I loved him. He's amazing, amazing manager, amazing manager. He knew the game inside out. He knew how to get the best out of players. He had a an unbelievable, like horrendous relationship with Aidan McGeady, but he knew that Aidan McGeady was good for the club. And Aidan McGeady just used to just moan at everything, and that Strachan just knew how to get it out. Yeah, he was just, just an unbelievable manager. Just by chance that your full debut was against Kilmarnock. At was it Rugby Park, isn't it, Kilmarnock? Yeah, yeah, Rugby Park, yeah. And you, you know, you play the whole game, you stuff them five one. Poor old Danny Invincible, ex Swindon player, hell, um, suffered in that game. But that must have been like a huge moment. I didn't think I was going to play. We 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 had a we done shape like the the game before we played Motherwell on the Saturday. Well, we played Motherwell on Saturday. We done shape on the Friday, and I was in the team, so I was meant to be starting on the Saturday. We we drove to Fur Park in the Saturday and the game got called off, waterlogged. And I'm thinking, oh no, I've missed my chance. So I think it was Andreas Hinkle, was back fit, like he'd been back training the following Thursday. I'm thinking, he's killed me, absolutely killed me. This game been called off, he's absolutely killed me. So we went into the, the cup game on Saturday and he read out the team and I was playing, so I was absolutely buzzing, obviously. But yeah, I set, I, I set the first goal up and I thought... I got off to a terrible start though, actually, straight for kickoff. <laughs> straight for kickoff, the ball's been played between the two strikers, of course, and then it's been played back to me at right back. And I've went to take a touch under my foot, straight out the pitch. I was like, fuck <laughs> me. Three seconds into the game, and I've made a arse it already. Ah, just get out of your system. <laughs> right, in front of all my, right in front of all my mates as well, and the part. <laughs> well, we're not going to go for every game, but obviously, we've got to cover the Barcelona one because you played an hour against some of the biggest hitters in the world um, at Celtic Park. Sure, it was it was a 3-2 loss, but it was 2-2 when you were on the pitch still. So you can take credit for that. I mean, exactly. was that a gamble by Strachan? Was it a necessity? I don't know because... Was it a gamble? I don't know because Mark Wilson was fit. He was on the bench and he came on mm. after an hour for me. So I never expected to play. And that's why I then, when I do reflect back on under Strachan, I thought, fucking hell, he must have liked me. Yeah. Playing, I was, was at last 16 in the Champions League, last 32 Champions League, or whatever it was, I can't even remember. Knockout stages, but at home and against the. There's, there's pundits and people that always say that's the best Barcelona team that have like, came to Celtic Park. They were, they were ridiculous. Their team was an absolute joke. But I just knew and they named the team. I just. I don't get. I genuinely don't. I don't get nervous at any football game it never phases me nothing at all and even that big occasion I thought right well I'm just turned 19 well I was 19 uh, if I don't do well it's it's my first it was my first game it's my first competitive game at Celtic Park so I think if I don't do well then there's every reason for it's, it's against me not to do well you'd expect me not to do well I'm getting thrown in at home at Celtic uh, at Celtic Park my home debut against the best players in the world not just like in Britain these were the best guys that are there's one of them that's you know, like Messi, you never reach that level. There's no many. I don't think the end will ever reach that Messi at uh, that level. But Ronaldinho back then was a, a disgrace as well. He was unbelievable. So I just thought if I if I don't do well, then fair enough. I don't do well. 
But if I do well, then brilliant. So it was a sort of one-one situation for me. Yeah. I remember coming in at half time though, and uh, so they were playing like uh, they played Deco, Yaya Toure, and and uh, Deco and Iniesta. Honestly, were playing these as you can imagine ridiculous balls to Ronaldinho, and I couldn't get anywhere near him. But I was always in a position where I was behind him. I just couldn't get tight to him. And I come in at half time, and uh, Gordon Strachan's like, "Gary, you not fucking get tighter to him." <laughs> He's fucking getting too much time in the ball. You're giving him fucking too much respect. So then uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Strachan went away. And Tommy, this is the thing with Tommy Burns. He just knows when when to, to get involved. And he came up and went, Caddy, you've only quick enough there, pal. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get tight. But no, 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 no. Should have just put your hand up and went, Gaffer. I was too busy clapping. They passes were fucking unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so he just like calmed you down again. And oh, what, what an eight. It was... Absolutely, and that Champions League music's oh, it was amazing. I won't lie, Southwark Park is somewhere I would love to go one day because on on a European night, on a big occasion, it looks like a hell of a spectacle. And what was it like for you when Barry Robson put put Celtic two one up? That must have been amazing. Oh, amazing! Absolutely amazing. They just the place erupted. But the the thing that sticks in my head most is probably the Champions League music. And then when the Champions League music is off, the Celtic fans start singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" and. It's just, it's amazing. But then we went that. I think I think we got the ball into their box, but three, twice, we scored twice. <laughs> uh, but that was Barry Robertson's whole, uh, Champions League debut as well. And, and I'm scoring and he was buzzing. And I just thought, fucking hell, we're beating Barcelona here 2-1 and I'm playing right back. This is, this is surreal. And then at 2-1, one, one, uh, had a, had a corner and it's the second ball and Henri's shot and it's gone in and I've headed it off the line. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, no matter what, now I feel like I've played a part in this game. I've headed one <laughs> off the line, I've stopped the goal, and it just stopped. It was, it will love me for the rest of my life, but that's, that's done and by now. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, Darren Dunn asks, uh, did you get Ronaldinho's shirt after the Barca game? What were your feelings knowing you had the best player in the world in your back pocket? Was that true? What one Ronaldinho and Messi had the turn. Messi was scared of me. Messi stayed on the right hand side. He wouldn't want to come over to the left. <laughs> Terrified of me. Who's like, that little right back? <laughs> no, uh, I thought I'd done all right. I, I, I done all right. I wasn't great. I wasn't bad. I done all right. Uh, I got Deco's shirt. I was I was so close to getting Ronaldinho's and big uh, Jan Venegura Hesselink's come up and said, uh, "Oh, can I have your shirt to Ronaldinho?" And I was just about to ask him, and, and big Jan says to me, "Which." Which is also a lot of shite now. He's like, uh, Caddy, you're playing, you're playing more of these games. Don't worry, <laughs> fucking no played another one since. <laughs> <laughs> so I end up, <laughs> so I end up with Deco. Start with surreal actually getting the uh, into the tunnel and said to Deco, "Get your top." And I've, I've took his top and I've walked away. And then like two seconds later, Deco's tapping on the back and asked me for my top. So I'm pretty sure that Deco's got a. 52 Cadiz in a frame hung up in his living room. Almost certain. Almost oh, certain. Who, who were the best players you played alongside at Celtic? Uh, when I was in the... Like, when I, when I moved into his dressing room, that's when I, I, I proper say I was a, a Celtic player. I was only in the dressing room for about two years, but when I moved into the dressing room, like, so the, the players were like... Robbie Keane was there at the time. Was Robbie Keane was too good for Celtic. It was too good for Scotland. He was making... like It wasn't until you look back and... And like clips of the games that he was making runs that we couldn't find. Yeah. He was making ridiculous runs that you think, oh sorry, that's 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 our fault. We we're not good enough to, to produce for it. It was ridiculous. His finishing was unbelievable. But arguably, I think 
one of the best players. I think probably the best player I've ever played with. Shinsuke Nakamura. Mm. We, we, I remember one day in training, it was like uh, it, it used to just honestly, he could open a tin of beans with his left foot. He was a, he was a disgrace, absolute disgrace. Never gave the ball away. Never took a bad touch. Weirdly enough, he just just one of those guys that never. But there was one day in, in training, and, and as you can imagine, Scotland's obviously a, such a lovely, climatised place. It was, mm. it was, uh, it was snowing, and it was fucking battling snow, heavy snow. Me thinking, fucking hell, God, I send this in. So we trained and trained and trained, and then somebody's played a big, big diag to uh, Nakamura. Nakamura's went to take a touch, and like me against Kelly, the ball's under his foot, and literally the second the ball went under his foot, past him, Gordon Stratton blows the whistle. Right, if he can't control it, none of you can, and we get <laughs> sent us all in. <laughs> oh, he was a joke. Uh, Sean Maloney, I, I loved Sean Maloney. I thought Sean Maloney was brilliant. Aidan McGeady was a hell of a player. Yeah, yeah, some big players. Uh, in, in 2009, you went out on loan to Dundee United. I think they were managed by probably Craig Levine at that stage. How, how did you find that loan move? Absolutely loved it. Yeah. First, first time I felt like a professional footballer. Waking up every Saturday, knowing that I was playing in the in front of a stadium, that it meant something. There was three points at stake. There was there was people. So I used to always used to at Celtic used to play in the reserves, and it was brilliant. It was great, but you'd always hear the, the like the managers and the coaches and stuff like that saying it's listen. You've got to you've got to understand when you get to the next level. There's your teammate beside you fighting for a mortgage and that. We're young. We don't have like houses and stuff like that. You don't realise until you go to these clubs that you think. No, this is this is a proper job here. This is this is one at all costs. People's relying on bonuses. People's relying on where they finish at the end of the season. Managers are relying on it for a job, and it, it just becomes that much more real. And you become a, a professional footballer. You grow up basically. You grow up. But I remember Strachan pulling me in, and that's another story about Strachan. And he said to me, right, uh, if I'd Craig Levine on the phone, and if I'd Pat Fenlon on the phone, and I would, no fact, previously about a month before this, I remember going up to Gordon Strachan's. Draken's uh, office. I was terrified. As I said, I was terrified. Him. I built up this courage one day. I don't know what I done, but I must have had about six iron brews in the morning. Mm-hmm. Built up this courage, knocked on his door, and I was like, "Gaffer, can I speak to you?" He went, "Yep." And he just stood there, and he went, "Come on in." I went, eh, "I was just wondering, like, is there any chance I could go out more?" He went, "Nope." And he just stared at me, and I went, uh, "All right." He went, "Is that you?" I went, "Yeah." He went, "All right. See you in five minutes in training, son." And that was that. So just at the blue, he called me up one day. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm either playing tomorrow tomorrow, or I'm out in loans, one of the two. And he's like, I've had Craig Levine on the phone and I've had Pat Fenlon on the phone. Hibs weren't doing too well at the time. The day United were doing really well. He went, so the day United or Hibs? I went, Phew. he went, come on. She was like, to answer him, like there and then, I have to make the decision within five seconds. I went, Dundee United, he went, good choice. Right, good luck, son. And that was it, gone. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I went to the United and it, 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 that was the first time I felt like football. I was waking up, I was getting into training and I was, I was involved in, like, team shape and stuff like that. It just felt brilliant and Craig Levine was a... I love Craig Levine. It's, the thing I liked about him most was he's the fairest man I have ever come across. It doesn't matter if you're 34 and you've played 500 games or you're 17 and you've played two games, he will treat you the same. And I, it was just... It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And the following season, you're involved more in the Celtic first team under Tony Mowbray and then Neil Lennon. Um, what was it like playing under those guys? Tony Mowbray was uh, Tony Mowbray was, was good. Obviously, worked with him later on in my career. But 
the thing about Tony Mowbray, I thought was at times we'd play a Thursday night, say away to Rapid Vienna, and then we'd travel late, well, early Friday morning, get back Friday afternoon, train Saturday, and then maybe travel to Inverness on the Sunday. And I get what he was coming from, but he almost expected, like, it's all right, it's Inverness away, we'll turn up and we'll win. Football's not like that, and arrogance not the right word because I love, I love he's the nicest man ever. But for some reason, it just didn't work there. But uh, at the time, Neil Lennon was reserve manager, and I was playing a lot of reserve games under Neil Lennon. And uh, he kept saying to me, "Listen, keep doing what you're doing. You will play. You will play." So Tony Mowbray got sacked, and, and Lenny come in, and I was thinking, "Fucking, hell, I'm going to play." But I played uh, the manager for nine games. I didn't make a fucking bench. <laughs> 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 so it was just one of those things. It's different, like when you get in that show hot seat. But when I was when I was leaving, when, when just before I left Celtic, he actually offered me a new deal. So now Ferry to the byline, Demita. They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline, and he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael Demita. Nice opportunity for us to talk a little bit about Scotland because you play for Scotland at youth and under 21. Um, you're drafted into the Scotland first team of the senior side when you're at Swindon, but you don't get on. And eventually you do get your, your one and only cap against the Czech Republic. Only a few minutes, but still, yeah. it's a cap. I ain't got one of those. Yeah, Loads of lots. Exactly. It must, be, it must be pride of place. Oh, it's, it's the proudest moment of my career by far. It's... It's playing for my country at that moment in time. It's people who say what they want. It's four minutes. It could have been forty seconds. I've still done it. There's, yep. there's millions of people out there who would love to do it. So, we another opinion. But it's something that I've, I was in. I was in three or four squads. I was in yeah. the squad under Fagovina. I was in a couple under under Gordon Strachan. Again, Gordon Strachan. Me, me being terrified. Of him obviously showed that <laughs> he, he seen something in me. So, oh, it was it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just to get, to get on the pitch and. Uh, I think I was the only player on the pitch to have exactly the same boots as the referee and the two linesmen. I don't know if that's ever happened ever again. <laughs> still get slaughtered for that to this day. I'm, I'm such a black boots person. I'm so old school. <laughs> I remember when you were on the bench for the Faroe Islands, which was the one that you were when um, when you were at Swindon. And yeah. I remember that collectively Swindon fans going, come on, it's the Faroe Islands, just give them a few minutes, what's going on? And I think I they gave it to another guy, but and, and it was just this feeling of absolute injustice, because <laughs> you were called oh, it, I, I was think devastated. Called, I think you were drafted in late on as well. Late, so yeah, late, I, was, I think, did I, did I miss a game? Yeah, but, well, probably, but it's the fact that you sort of, if you're drafted in late on, you get a couple of minutes, right, you know? <laughs> I know, surely I know. I remember actually one. It was me and another guy, the the, the lad that side does a podcast with Kevin Kyle. And I remember going to dressing him, and Kevin Kyle was like, "Ah, oh, fuck this, I'm not coming back." <laughs> we played our way up at Aberdeen, so he, he's from Stranraer, so it's like fucking five hours, six hours for his house. So I'm not fucking travelling six hours to sit on the bench against Fair, Fairway Islands. They're friendly, not going. He was finished. But, yeah. Yeah. Well. Never mind. Well, Jack Tanner's asked the question. You've already pretty much answered it. What's your proudest moment of your career? First Celtic game or Scotland cap? Oh, I was a, my boyhood here was obviously my, my my dream was to play for Celtic, but probably because I never ever thought that I could, and I probably never ever thought I had the ability to to play for Scotland. Probably, but Scotland's uh, premier national side. I think I think it takes a lot to beat that, doesn't it? Yeah. 
it's, a, it, it's a great national anthem you guys have got as well. Amazing. It's a, it's, when, it's a, when it gets going, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good we've one. just not been that successful. Yeah. Um, well, before you join Swindon, you go on a nice little jolly with Celtic to the United States, and we're all wondering in Swindon, because we heard about it, that you know we, we'd already had Simon um, for the season before, Wembley final, and then we were being told that Swindon were trying to tie up a deal for Simon and Paul Caddis, and I'd heard of you, and if I hear of, I've got to be honest, I, I hadn't heard of Simon before he came to Swindon, hadn't heard of Scott, yeah. but I had heard of Paul Caddis, and my first feeling was, the hell is he wanting to come down here for? Um, and then you're going off to America. You're playing. It just seemed like yeah, the most prolonged, the most prolonged transfer ever. Oh fuck! Imagine, <laughs> try being involved in it. Yeah. Main side shit. Do you know what made it worse? Main side shared the room as well. That made it even worse. Oh, fuck it. Could be the same agent. We're constantly on him every single day. We're on. Can we not just fly back? Can we fly back? We're just we're desperate to come. That's me being honest. We're desperate. We knew we weren't going to play. Listen. Well, just but anybody can play pre-season games, can't they? You, you, you know, you know, you can have a good pre-season, but if you get somebody at a club like Celtic that's that's been bought for five million quid, they're going to start the season, regardless. So you, you knew that being a young lad coming through the system, it's almost tougher to break in. So we knew that as much as Lenny loved the two, as Lenny really really liked his and Alan Thompson's assistant really liked his, and but as I said before, I left Lenny had. I'll speak to Lenny about a new deal, but I just thought I'm at an age now. Was I 22? No, 23 was I. I'm at an age now where I want to go and play football. Mm. I'm willing to take a risk financially, whatever it may be. I've not got much to lose. Just go and try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I just because I had come through in Sai Hotel, we come through with a lot of players that got to 23, 24, 25. It was just hanging on, and they played maybe three games and. Three games and they'd hit 24, 25 year old, and you think, no, just go and make a career for yourself. If you can't do it, then at least you can say you've tried it. You hit 25, you get three games, and I'll be honest, managers going to look at it and go, he's 25, he's only played three times. So I just, well, just desperate for it to happen. And it just seemed as if one minute was on, and the next minute was like, no, nah, Celtic, I want to do this. And Trundin, I was saying, no, nah, I want to do it this way. And then at one point, it became two separate deals, and then it became a double deal again and it was just oh, as you said it, it dragged on dragged on but I remember we, we played a pre-season friendly over there actually and inside said oh somebody wants to meet us and, and it was Andrew Fitton Andrew Fitton had travelled from some one of the states over to another state to, to come and meet us and I had never never met him before and, and see when that happened I thought to myself nah we need to go here this, this, that shows you like how much somebody's willing to, to, to try and get you and it was it was absolutely brilliant, it was spot on, he was just telling us how how he's trying to trying to finance a deal and stuff like it was brilliant. Of course Simon must have given you the uh the sell of Swindon Town. He must have sold it to you quite well. Oh Sai sold me the dream and then we got there and I got fucking relegated. <laughs> sold me the dream. No, I was just saying like listen, Danny Wilson, I, he, he spoke so highly of Danny Wilson and I thought well Sai will just tell me the truth or mates he'll, he'll tell me if I think I'll enjoy it or no because that's what we're like we're honest with each other and and he was he was just saying like, he'll love it he'll, he likes to play football the lads are brilliant we'll get proper footballers but the rest of it we'll, we'll, we'll win the league we'll win the league if we don't win the league then we'll go upset but we'll do really well with the rest and I was like Sai but we'll get like that year I think uh, Brighton were in the, the league and a couple other like bigger big teams and I was, he's like nah but honestly we'll be we'll be up there we'll be up there but, Unfortunately, it was just 
didn't happen. How did how did you find it initially moving all the way down to Swindon? I loved it. Honestly, I'd, my partner moved with me, so I think that helped. I think that softens the blow a bit. So I'd been with my partner a couple of years, so she had made that decision to come in, and then it helped. And but the first couple of months, obviously finishing up her own work and size partner finishing up her work and stuff like that. So. It was me and Sai for a, for a while, so that always helped as well because it's just like staying with your mate, so it was, it was fine. Uh, and I knew Scott Cuthbert well, so I, that that helped. That there was people there that I knew that I was I, I more than knew they were they were mates. I had, I had proper mates at the club, so so that helped. Uh, moving away was was fine. I, it didn't bother me too much to be honest. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having to ha- start having some responsibilities, and so no, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Well- what was the mood like in the side? Because obviously we just missed out on promotion. Um, a few key players had gone: Billy Painter and Gordon Greer. Um, what was what was Danny Wilson selling to you at that point? He just told me that, yeah, or like he was honest. You come in, we've got good players. We can't guarantee you anything, but you train well, play well. Then you'll get your chance, and if you take it, then you'll stay in. And we signed. I think we signed signed the Thursday. We didn't train until the Friday, so. Before the first game of the season, so mm-hmm. so any like thoughts or anything like that about the previous season were were completely gone. It was there was no talk about that or anything. So it was all positive. It was about let's go that one step further than last year. That was always the aim, but for some reason it just didn't happen. But and I think the first home game was Brighton at home. Yeah. Side so got on. I think with about fifteen minutes to go. I didn't go on unfortunately. But I played the my first game was. The late Tuesday in night, Orient, yeah. late in Orient, and the GPT or check or change, whatever it's called. In the League Cup, yeah. Yeah, League Cup was it? Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I, the first time I met Danny Wilson, I, when we left, I said to say he's, I, I love him. He's right up my street. He was just honest. He was, and it's easy just to, to take somebody at face value. But then when you got on the training pitch, you thought, yeah, you can tell he's he's got a bit here. I don't really hear anybody say anything bad about Danny. To be honest, like player wise, the, the boys loved him. Yeah, yeah, that, that's consistent with everyone that I've spoken yeah. to. The the one difference that you have in comparison to the guys that I've spoken to from this era is you came in for this season instead of experiencing what was you know the best training, the best dressing room they'd ever experienced the year before. Yeah. they 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 say pretty much the opposite for this season. Yeah. How, how did you find it? Uh, it's as you say, it's hard for me to compare to the previous season, but. There was there was times where you could it wasn't it wasn't as united as you'd like it to be. There was a few different. I think we had like for instance, David Prutton was a stronger character than than most, and so so Prutts was again went back to stop Gordon Strachan. Prutts was brought up basically with Gordon Strachan at Southampton, so he was used to somebody in your face, somebody shouting at you. And I think it was like almost the beginning of the end of the old school football I run about that era. I still say back 2010, 2011, football changed a bit. Yeah. You weren't allowed to shout in people's faces or give them a kick up the arse. You had to almost cuddle them. And that didn't sit right way. Like old school boys like David Prutton, uh, Jonathan Douglas. But I, I was used to that. Si was used to that because we were brought up like, like that as well. But not everyone is. Everyone's... Especially nowadays, academies nowadays is all about giving people cuddles and all that shout at people. And then they get into the first team, they realise, as I, as I touched on when I went to the United, you're actually playing for some here. It means a lot more than just oh, unlucky. It's not. It's not unlucky. It's fucking. 
don't let that happen again. But mm. I just don't think we could. We had a group that could deal with that. David Prutton was 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 a problem, but there was a problem with his mentality clashing with the new mentality. Which I yeah, think, I think I yeah. think I think that's a really sound point. Because but... I, I I love Prutz. Prutz was, but, but I I understood. Prutz was only demanding the best. Yeah, he was only demanding the standards that he was used to from other players and. And like uh, French lads, for instance, are very laid back, relaxed. You've got other foreign lads that are relaxed. You've got younger lads that are not really used to such an intense character. But you can't just blame that. We simply weren't good enough on the pitch. Win one, lose three, and losing against. Yeah, oh, so weird. It was so weird. I I still say to Sai and speak to Sai, but like when we talk about it and that, we had a fucking good team that year, Rich. Yeah. Fucking good team. We should have at least finished the playoffs with a, a good squad of 16, 18 players. But it just, obviously, Charlie getting injured didn't help. Not so much like getting into playoffs or that, but it just didn't help the full season sort of like finishing where we finished. Charlie dislocated his shoulder, didn't he? And we ended up with, with Thomas DeSevi and a big Vinnie Perry card, which, all due respect, I'm not going to get loads of goals out of them away. So it was tough. No, we we would do those things like beat Sheffield Wednesday and beat uh, beat Charlton away and then lose away at Dagenham and Redbridge and things like that. Uh, it's the most frustrating exactly. thing in a, in a in a relegation uh-huh. season. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned that. I mean, do you think we would have stayed up, scraped past, um, had Charlie stayed fit and stayed? Uh, would have definitely had a hell of a lot more chance. I definitely, hundred percent. Charlie was. Just a goal scorer, you can see it throughout his career. Just, but not just that. Charlie worked his nuts off. What his nuts off? And Thomas De Sevi worked his nuts off, but not in the same way that Charlie would. Charlie would would know how to work. Thomas De just run about like headless chicken. Yeah. But Charlie would know how to do it. And big Vinnie Perry card, fucking hell. <laughs> My fucking grand would run more than him. <laughs> so it was, it was just one of those seasons. But I remember uh, <laughs> we had uh, Danny had a meeting was just before. Just after Christmas, and it was like, right, lads, this, let's let's set a, a points a points aim out here. So he's, so he's got like the next five fixtures up. One of them's like a home to Dagenham Redbridge, three points, all oh, lads, three points, three points. Right, I'll give you that. A way to let's try and mirror some uh, three points. A way to Southend, oh, we can dick a point there. They're doing well, blah blah. A way to Southampton, and the boys were like, I think we get a point here. Tony Wilson's like, right, lads, lads, come on. Let's be fucking realistic here. <laughs> you think to yourself, fucking hell. But that was another thing. Like we, we, we had. He tried everything, Danny. He did. He tried everything. We got a, we got like a psychologist in, and the psychologist would basically say, "I want each player to come up and tell me, if you were the manager, what would be your best eleven? So is anybody any volunteers? Perhaps is like that. I'll go first, straight up. <laughs> rattles his rattles eleven off just. I think that as again that's his mentality and it didn't sit comfortable with a lot of people. It's... What was your experience as a Paul Hart? Paul Hart told us did he tell us he'd resigned? But he's telling us he wasn't coming back. Not coming back. Turned he seen him all week in training. Turned up into the we walked into Sheffield Wednesday the day we got relegated into Sheffield Wednesday. And he was he just appeared. He was just there. <laughs> well like where the fuck you been all week? He come in after the game and uh, just tossed shreds out of Scott Cuthbert for about forty five minutes. Just ripped the asshole right at him by the way doing this half naked as well button up his shirt with tits hanging it oh it was brilliant just not the time it was but when you look back it was like 
if you don't fucking head the ball, make sure you head the back of their fucking striker's head. I want your head split wide open. That's what it means to stay up at this. Oh, just fucking ranting and raving. But I liked him. I did like him. But obviously, size my mate. I don't think he, he, he didn't play side to start with. And in fact, I don't think he played side at all. To be honest, he brought in he brought in some weird signings. Uh, was it Allison and Dye. Yeah. yeah, he brought in Calvin Andrew. But Calvin's all right, but. Oh, big, big Allison couldn't pass the ball fucking five yards, man. <laughs> and Cy Ferry's our best player, and oh, just say no more. Yeah, it, well, quite. Um, no easy way of structuring this sentence, really. But I mean, you go from you know playing in front of tens of thousands at Celtic Park, and now you're facing the fourth tier of English football. During the summer of 2011, were you thinking of leaving? Never. No, not once. Promise you, hand on heart, no. Nick Watkins, uh, Nick Watkins was, was took everyone in. So at the end of the season, plans for next season is like, listen, we'd love you to stay. But no, the, I think he was interested. Well, he told me there's clubs interested in you. I'll be honest with you, yourself and Simon with Matty. We're trying Matty. I think Matty was only on loan. Was it the time? Mm-hmm. No, was he on loan? Yeah, he was on the loan at the time. We're trying to get Matty, and we, we want to build something. We we use three being the base here. That's all I needed to hear. Just, you just want, and 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 my reply to that was like, like I, I'm, I'll, I'll stay. And I'm, I'm happy to stay. But from me, for my build, my physique, the way, I, the way I've been brought up, the way I want to play, I understand I'm going to League Two. But if we bring a manager in that's old school and just wants to go back to front with six fit plus players, then I'm not going to fit in here. He's like, no, no, no. We're going to bring a manager and we're going to, we're going to play to to suit you, Matty, and Sai, like your style. We're not going to just come in and start batting the ball fucking 60 feet in the air to try and win games. That's not how we're going to do it. There was never the never the plan to leave when me, Sai, or well, Matty's obviously signed permanently, but that was never the plan. And we, for Nick to make us feel important, and, and I think helped as well. Yeah, and where were you and when you found out that it was going to be Paolo Di Canio, of course, ex-Celtic? Oh, I was absolutely buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. I was, I was uh, Nick texted me actually and said, we're, the canny was going to get the job or the rest of it. I was thinking, wow, he's a absolute footballer. I was buzzing. I was thinking he's just going to want to play, pop it non-stop. So I was absolutely buzzing. But uh, I was on holiday. I was in Cyprus with my missus and my, my mate and his partner. And uh, he phoned me. The canny phoned me. And we were training. We were due back in the... I can't remember. The, like, ridiculously early, though. We were due back in, like, the the 28th of June or something, but he changed it to like the 15th. He's like, nah, we're coming in the 15th. I was like, Gaffer, I don't come back my holiday till the 18th. He was like, eh, okay, no problem, no problem. But I honestly felt obliged. I thought, nah, I can't do that. I've got to, I've got to just go in. So I ended up coming back three days early from my holiday and I went in and I think that got off to a good start with him. Like, he, he appreciated that and don't get me wrong, I wish I fucking stayed away for the first three days because it was absolutely horrendous, man. The running was... <laughs> The guy's a warrior, absolute warrior, that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's well documented everywhere from this podcast to to anywhere that's mentioned the Ducani area that, that 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 summer in Italy and everything oh, before and after it, was intense. It took us to Siberia for two weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. It was not a thing in sight. The only thing you could see was mountains. To, and mountains, and right in the middle of these mountains was a hotel and a football pit. And that's where they found, that's where, that's where we went. We got a, a flight to Italy and then it was a, we landed in Italy and it was like a, a four and a half hour drive to this 
Lake Gardner, no, it wasn't Lake Gardner, so that's fucking Lake Gardner's beautiful. It wasn't Lake Gardner, I can't remember the name of the place, but it was, it was horrendous. <laughs> so, I mean, the season we all know it started badly, it got better, it got great. What, what were the standout moments for you that, that year? Uh, just going on that, like starting bad, do you know what? We always knew this, this will turn. This will, we, we just had faith. The manager was. The manager knew the game inside out. I thought myself, they were like attacking wise, we'll be unbelievable. Defensively, we don't know is he going to bring somebody in it, but he knew the game inside out, and he had a he got a grasp for League Two after we lost the first four games, then won the fifth one at home to Rotherham on TV, won it. Yeah, that was the first. Was that the first game we won? The first game. Oh, no, we sorry, won the we won one, crew, yeah. didn't we? Won mm-hmm. we won crew, and then went four, five losses in a row or something and I think it took maybe six or seven games for him to realise right because he used to say to like Flinty and if it was Flinty and Joe the very centre half head it and kick it just used to head it and kick it let everyone else pass it when it comes in our box you fucking head it when it goes in when it comes down the channel you fucking kick it no problem everyone else can pass used to just so it's as if he just got like used to the league and he started watching more matches and understood let's be honest that is what you need to do in that league back then it's maybe Change a little bit now, but you did have to just head it, kick it at times. But we we genuinely knew that this will turn because we're a fucking we're a good team, and to do what we done in pre season from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, work on tactics, work on shape. But I'm talking by inch by inch where he should be in the pitch when the ball's here. He covered every blade of grass. We knew you can't do that and we'll be successful at the end. This this will come, so we. We just stuck at it, and, and obviously, as you said, it got better, and then it got even better, and then it got unbelievable. Yeah. How did it feel going through the season when players would come and go so f- frequently, whether they're loan players or players that were once in favour and then disappeared? Oh, it almost became the non. Honestly, it just became the non. We knew we had we had a group. Eventually, after like Sai got in the team, that we had about seven, eight players we knew that will play. Will play. We've got eight players that were. That we know that he trusts, and that's they're going to play. So, so we always knew that if there was a, a little tweak here and there, then fine. But we different if you've got three or four that's going to play every week. But seven or eight's a, a strong group. It's so so we managed to deal with it. We, there was always players coming and going. There was players coming in and trial, even when the window wasn't open, and there was Italians coming over. There was Italians going away, and we just we just learned to deal with it. To be honest, but it, it was all, almost expecting you turn up at training. And after two weeks, you'd be thinking, oh, fucking hell, another trial for the last two weeks. There's, there's a lads. Money must have dried up. <laughs> you you miss Wembley. Um, and you were missed in that game as well. Obviously, yeah. that's the only little streak that you have injured is right at that moment where we do have a little dip and we lose, we lose to Chesterfield. I mean, did that disappoint you as much as it disappointed us? I mean, obviously, that's a daft oh, question because it's Wembley. And, but, you know... Touchwood, I'd never, I had never, I've been blessed by, with injuries throughout my full career. The only time I've missed games was missed five or six there at Swindon and dislocated my shoulder. And since I come back, I've done a hammy. But I've been blessed, like to go fifteen years with very, very minor injuries and and not and miss maybe ten games maximum. So I done everything I could. I went back to to Scotland. I was uh, get, I got an injection, didn't work. I was going to. A place in Swindon. It was for is it people with MS. I think Do you know the auction chambers. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to oxygen chambers. I was just I was trying everything to be fit, and the manager was was trying everything with me. He was he was backing everything and doing. I was I was having two three days rest days to see if that would help. If that wasn't helping, I was going intense for three days. If that wasn't helping, then I was going I was going to these oxygen chambers twice a day. I was I had injections, so to put so it probably and end up killed me a bit because I put that much into it, desperate to make it. And when I didn't make it, it made it even worse for me. The Saturday before, the, eh, the Friday before the game, the boys travelled the Saturday morning for the game and the Sunday. The Friday, the last training session, was my first in about three, four weeks. And I remember going into a tackle and I felt my ankle straight away. And I didn't even say, and I just walked away and they kind of shouted, Paul, Paul. And I couldn't even answer. And I was, oh, I was devastated. I just walked away, went into, into the dressing room, got my gear on, drove home. That was me. I, I couldn't face it. I was gutted. Did you go to Wembley though? Yeah, I went. I went with my missus and, and uh, my missus family. And that was down as well. When and I went on the I went on the bus, the the staff bus, and that. So I was there. I was there. Yeah, it was a weird. It was a weird one that game because I mean, when we've lost in modern times, when we lost to Millwall, they were just about the better team. We got slapped by Preston North End, but that one no. was was genuine stage fright. I think we just it just didn't click that day, did it? No, I know, I know. I just, I don't know. It might have been stage fright, yeah. It might have been. I just, it just didn't harm. It just wasn't us that day, was it? No, not it was at all. weird. It just wasn't us at all. I remember speaking to, to Matty after it, and and Matty saying like, you need to get yourself back fit. I feel like that's nothing against Joe Devera because Joe Devera done well when he went to right back, but even Marquez, like just, but me, Matty, inside just had this weird telepathic connection that we just knew that was, regardless if. If two years were playing well and one years were having a stink, we'd always drag each other through it. It was just, it's just how it worked. We always, we always managed to, to get something going, and and he was just desperate for me to go back. I was, I was desperate to get myself back, and thankfully I made it. I actually made it back too early because I was injured at the time. I was on the bench against Plymouth at home, and Alan McCormack's mother-in-law phoned him saying his wife just went into labour, like at half two, so he had to go. And I had to had to come in, and I was ten painkillers or something. But yeah, it wasn't a good day. Oh yeah, but it was. I mean, reference you and Matt Ritchie. I think it's something that definitely Swindon fans talk about now. That Matt Ritchie was a phenomenal player for Swindon, but the Caddis Ritchie combination that really thrived from, and we've had it this season with say Doyle's goals, but benefiting from you and Rob Hunt doing what yeah. you guys do as well. Yeah, I used to. Well, so I used to joke with Matty that uh, he used to say to Matty, just keep listening to me and Cads and we'll get you to the Premier League. <laughs> he used to say, Cads is because Matty was thick as fuck. Thick, <laughs> brain dead. He used to just run and run and run and I used to have to almost try and keep him on a piece of string. But Matty, just stay there. You're running into people, just stay there. And he was a, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I couldn't be happy for, a, yeah. for somebody like him. He's a, he's a great guy. He works nuts off. Nicest man. He's not... I've got so much time for people that don't go like above their station. Stuff. He was just a great guy. I still speak to him to this day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just we just had a great relationship. Great relationship. Three yeah, years. Got him to the Premier League and got him to Scotland as well. Exactly. I, I even managed to get my Scottish cap. He's not even fucking Scottish. I remember <laughs> he got called up for Scotland. He's like, God. He done an interview and he told the the reporters he had not He's never listened to the national anthem. So of course he's getting absolute battered in Scotland. I was like, Matt, what are you doing? The fucking just kid on you listening to it. He was just thick. He was just that thick kid. <laughs> Stupid. 
were you, were you disappointed not to get the captaincy that summer, that summer before when Risa, Risa got it? He pulled the car, he pulled me and says, oh, we bring a player in. Uh, Risa, he's fantastic passing, good experience, strong. So, of course, I went to Sai and that's obviously mean Sai to each other. Everyone, the kind of like, but between us, he's going to come in, he's going to play really good central mid. I've said to Sai straight away, Sai's centre mid, obviously, I'm like, fucking hell, we bring. He told me he's bringing John and the Risa in. So he's like, what? To play centre mid? I went, aye. John Andrews, I think he just played the Champions League about two years before. I was like, fucking, surely no. Little did they know, it was fucking Oliver Risa. Jesus. <laughs> uh, was I disappointed? Uh, I don't know. I, I probably was. I, I probably was. I, I've been captain at a majority of clubs I've been at. And when I was captain at Scotland in the 21s. I was captain at Celtic Reserves. So... I enjoy that responsibility. Uh, but then again, I thought to myself, is he maybe just trying to freshen up with somebody that's not been here and was a good relegated the year before? I don't know. I'd maybe just make an excuse for myself. But to answer your question, yeah, I, was probably, I probably was good today. He was a bit of a chest thumper as well, wasn't he, Risa? Oh, chest thumper. I wish he fucking put as much into football as he did punch in his chest. <laughs> fucking hell. Did the fans like Risa? Um, I think it's kind of divided. I mean, I don't. I mean, me personally, and you know, I'd love him on the on the podcast. But I, I he was just he, to me, he I, he encapsulates what Decanio's reign was all about: was just churning through players and then oh, they disappear. Yeah. And he, obviously, he scored that great first goal. A great goal. But couldn't they pass water, Rich? Yeah. Fucking hell! <laughs> they used to do a thing before the game as well. Decanio would obviously. Had got him in and said, with like five to three, we will we'll come in a circle in the dressing room. And the canio shouts, Victory! And then we all, eh, we shouts, Victory! And then all the players shout, Victory! <laughs> Honestly, it was like fucking uh, him out of the, oh, I can't remember the name of it. Sorry, I forget the name of it. But it was just so when, when the canio had pulled me in eventually and said, like, about captaincy, the first thing I said to him was, Listen, that's not me, I'm not doing that. And the canio wasn't happy. I was like, but that's not me. That's not how I got up for a game. Understand, if you want to do it, then fine. But I'm not standing in the middle of the dressing room shouting victory. It's <laughs> five minutes to kick off. I'm already in the zone. I don't need... Like, everyone's different. Everyone likes to do... Like, some people like to do shit like that. But that's where I think, again, when I go back to... I think I was, like, my age, size age, is the last of the old school ways. We were almost, like, the, the new ones. But, but I, I, I hung on to the old school when... Like, oh, fucking, I hate the gym. I, I literally enjoy turning up, training, working hard and going home. That's just old school, but nowadays it's obviously gym sessions, stuff like that, but I still live in the past. <laughs> how, how, well, where does the Port Vale championship winning game stand in your list of achievements, that 5-0? Well, it's, it's the only title I've won, so... Like club-wise, it's definitely it's, it's the best achievement. But I remember that day, I remember that day were, were unbelievable, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I remember the goal where was it? I played to uh, to Matty Matty played inside to side side flicked around the corner and then Paul Benson dinked it over the goal. Yeah. I remember that goal and we were sensational that 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 day. But we obviously got promoted against Gillingham, didn't we? Away to Gillingham and yeah. it was good. But losing the game under the canio was. You never quite got that moment to enjoy it, but doing it the way we've done it, was, there's nothing better. That was, 
it was brilliant. I just remember it was such a nice day as well. When the weather was good and just had that feel good, the place was bouncing. Oh, what a feeling! It was unbelievable. Yeah, it got a bit windy around about the presentation time. I remember that, but I remember it, it took us ages to score the first. Nah, and then once, them, and then, then we absolutely dismantled them. And I think every goal was really, really good as well. It wasn't just like tap-ins and things like that. Every yeah. goal was a well-worked one. Matty was... scored a screamer as well, didn't he? Yes, he did his first one. Yeah, he scored the first one. Yeah, it was it was it was a lovely finish. And then you know all the others were there's just like nice passing moves that result in yeah. Benson and and. By and the way, talking about Paul Benson, Paul Benson deserves an honourable mention as well because the kind of was bringing in these foreigners and stuff like that. But with that, what age was Ben when he came? 33 thirty two, thirty three, thirty three year old guy. And I would say honestly, he he was a massive part the second part of the season. Massive part. Worked his nuts off. Great guy. Brilliant in the dressing room. A fucking good player. I don't. I think he's underrated. I don't think you realise to we play him. He was a very, very good player. A great guy. Great guy. Richard, he's hit it and it's deflected, and Swindon Town have the lead. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. So what happens in the summer then? So I think we. I think most of us know that you know you and your partner have your first child. And it all goes wrong. I know, fucking hell, my oldest kid, what a pain in the arse, huh? <laughs> how, how dare she? Yeah. Uh, how did it all happen? It just, so, me and my partner, I, we had a kid, and my oldest was born on the 17th, so I've asked the manager, well, do you in training the, I think we're well, due in the 17th, said to the manager, my daughter is due on the 19th. And my missus in Scotland can ask stay and just do a couple of days until the kids here, which I don't think's asking too much. It's my first kid, I'm fucking five six hours away from home. Yep, fine, no problem. So I ended up doing that, and that was all right. And then I went back in pre-season, that was fine. And then we played Crystal Palace pre-season. Mm. No, was it Crystal? Ah, Crystal Palace we played, didn't we? And Zaha, fucking. Shred me a new one, and the kind of was just come out of nowhere and just started coming for me. This is your leader, followed your leader, and I think where's this came from? And then obviously he's talking about my fitness, and oh, it was just it just wasn't nice. And then it, what I didn't like, and everyone will have their opinion on it, but at the end of the day, my partner and my kid means more to them than what football does, and and he's publicly come out. And sort of had a go at my partner, and I just don't think that's right. I thought, so I said to him, listen, hammer me all you want, but don't bring my personal life into it, which he didn't like. And then I uh, just got tit for tat. And as I said, the, the Crystal Palace one was fine on the coffin. We came into the, we had a, I've never actually spoke about it in this much detail. We came into Liddington. We had a, a meeting as we always do. The relationship wasn't great at the time because he, he was on me a little bit and he didn't like but I didn't like that he had came from a missus and just stuff like that. So he started saying, oh, look at this, follow the leader, follow the leader, this is your leader, this is fucking shit and all this. So I just accepted that. I was ne- I'm was i never one for answering Mark or the man's always right. And then even if, he, even if he's wrong, he's right. That's just how it is. So I never answered Mark, it was fine. And then he started going for personal life again in front of everyone. So I thought, no, any human being would 
would obviously fight their corner here. So I, thought, I said, listen, Gaffer, football, come for me. Fitness, come for me. Please don't mention my partner and don't mention my kid. And, for everyone, you know, and to be fair to Paul Benson, older lad, he stood up and said, nah, Gaffer, I don't think you're right there. Don't come for his partner. And if you're frustrated about the result, fine, but you can't do that. And then a couple of other lads had said, no, nah, I think you've overstepped the mark there. And, and I almost thought that he thought of, like, there's a few lads not sticking up for me, but just having their opinion. And that was the first time that people had probably spoke up about. Mm. And then he just, he's like, you have until Thursday, this was like Tuesday, you have until Thursday to decide if you want to be here. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He went, well, you have until Thursday. I said, do you want me here? No, you, you decide, do you want to? I said, yeah, I want to be here. That's why I'm in this, this year right now. Well, you have until Thursday, or, or I fuck you off. I went, well, if that's the case, then I'll leave now if you want me to. Go, go. I just left. I, I left the, the meeting. I've never done that in my life. And I get in the car. I drove back to Steam. Weirdly enough, within 30, 30 seconds of me getting in the car, Jeremy Ray phones me, who I had an unbelievable relationship with, really close. Uh, used to speak to him regularly and talk about games, stuff like that. And, Asking me like this when I became captain, like how's things going? Is there he can do? And then I would likewise, then the players can do, etc. So I had a great relationship with him. And he's like, no, we'll sort it. I was like, listen, there's too many bridges been burnt. It's no possible. I, I want to sort it. But he has publicly said before, it's his way or no way. And right now he's he's not keen on me. And I just got sore really quick. And it was disappointing, to be honest. I didn't want to leave. And I told you, I, mean, I don't want to leave, but I'm left with no, with no choice. Yeah. And, and was that the end for Benson, for sticking up for you? Or was, well, was... say no more, huh? He, yeah. was, he... he was finished as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, so... Yeah. It was one of those... Yeah, it, was, it was difficult times where me and Paul Benson ended up... Well, no, I, I, I obviously ended up leaving. Did Ben go to Luton? Um, yeah, I mean, Benson yeah. never really featured again. Um, yeah. He was... He oh, no, he eventually stayed, didn't he? He yeah, stayed, he stayed never featured. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got to, like, the last the last day of the window, and I had said to Jenny, listen, I'm happy to stay here. I'll continue to train as long as, like... Because it got to a point where he didn't want me to train with him. So yeah. it got, like, that bad. I was like, and Jeremy had said, like... I said, yeah, let's sit down, me, you, and the manager. Like, I was his captain, and... I, I thought I had a good relationship with him, but that's just what he was like. You know what I mean? Absolute maniac, but still totally respected everything he wanted. No, you, you're not training today, you're doing running, so I'd end up having to do, go and do running. And, and Jeremy will, will back me up. And I didn't know until like a couple of years later, I think. Was it? Was it Andrew Black? Yeah, I mean, this this is where Pete Marsh comes in with a question saying, um, Was Paul aware that Andrew Black, the main investor, was annoyed? Um, by the treatment of yourself during that time? No, I wasn't. Not one bit. Yeah. Not one bit was annoyed, but I'm actually glad that... I, I don't think I found that out to be... Maybe two or three years ago, I'm actually glad that that's happened because then he obviously... Before he, he comments, he's going to get every side of the story and everybody's before he... He's not going to come out and say, oh, Cad's was never to blame if he didn't think... I wasn't to blame, do you know what I mean? Like, so he's obviously had Jeremy said, I said to as I said, I've said to Jeremy, let's let's sit down, let's sort it. The season yeah. starts in like two weeks, let's sort it. If he's not happy with my fitness, let's tell him to get me to right, what do you want me to reach? And I'll reach it. If it's no fitness, if it's something else, then tell me. Yeah. But the kind of didn't want that, so Yeah, I mean that's... 
from from a fan side of things, I mean, it's it, football is fickle, as you know, and when things are going well, lots of fans will will turn a blind eye to mistreatment of footballers and things like that. And for me, I mean, I was one of those sort of snowflakey people that wasn't really keen on Decanio at the start because of the politics and yeah. you know. Lazio yeah, yeah, and things yeah. like that yeah. and of course I'm a Swindon fan so I don't support Swindon because of De Canio I support Swindon because of Swindon so I didn't boycott or anything like that like some fans did and I enjoyed that season thoroughly I'm not going to pretend that I didn't oh, 100%, yeah. and and you know when you lose a Gabba Londo when you lose maybe a Michael Timlin and Oliver Risa you kind yeah. of go okay well for the greater good because he's bringing in X, Y and Z but when you're losing Paul Caddis and, and, and Benson I remember thinking, well, well, come on, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face here, aren't you, yeah. really? Because these, this is your captain and your top scorer who was only there for, well, joint top scorer, who was only there for half a season. Exactly. It, it did, and it makes it even worse as a fan when you, you sort of have a player who's binned and then they go to the championship. Yeah. And well, it, listen, and it, let's not be kidded. It's, obviously, everybody knows it. I certainly wasn't the first and I wasn't the last. No. There was a lot worse that mm. happened than me, but it was just more documented because at the time I was a captain and he was a lot more documented about it because, as you said, with all due respect to like Gabalondo and stuff like that, the media wouldn't ask, where's Gabalondo? They would ask like the captain, where's where's Cadiz this week? Why is he not involved? When will he come back and get involved? And, do you know what I mean? It's, it becomes like a an almost a media interest, so that enheightens the the opinion of everybody else, yeah. whereas it wasn't, it was, we fell out, simple, we fell out, but it wasn't like what it was made out to be, you just, listen, everybody's got their opinion on it, that's just how it is, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a question of etiquette really, you know, talk yeah. about football, don't talk about my personal life, perfectly understandable. Yeah. Well, you got a move to Birmingham City out of it, firstly on loan, and it starts, you know, what was it, five, well, four very, very good seasons um, with Birmingham. It's one of these things I think that Swindon fans <laughs> tend to not recognise that because you're so popular with Swindon um, supporters, but you are also very, very popular with Birmingham City. It was, yeah. Lee, it was Lee Clark who took you there. He was the manager for the majority of your spell and plus um, some time with Gary Rower as well. A, a great four seasons in the Championship for you. Oh, absolutely loved it. I loved it. No yeah. denying it. I absolutely loved it. It's one of those ones where it comes up transfer deadline day that Paul Caddis Swindon just been promoted for League Two, gets somewhere in the Championship, and it's, let's be honest, there's probably seventy five percent of people going, "Fucking hell, how's he nicked that?" <laughs> so it's just, I was on the way to MK Dons. I was, I was in the we played, was it Brighton again? I actually played Brighton in the cup. Yeah, League Cup dismantled. Yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah, played Brighton in the League Cup. Was on the stand and. Chris Wilder, Oxford manager at the time, and Mick Halford was the scout at Birmingham at the time. He was, yeah, he was scout at Birmingham. He was, he was helping Birmingham out. Mm-hmm. And Chris Wilder had said to to me about Birmingham, like just tentatively, but nothing that much. And we played MK Dons the day before the window shut and. Uh, Carol Robinson said to me in the tunnel I wasn't I was on the stand again I was, wasn't involved he'd said to me in the tunnel uh, let's speak after the game we'll get sorted and go on loan there for, for six months so I had it in my head I was going there and then I was all, I was in the car I was ready to go to Milton Keynes it was, I think it was almost sorted and then my agent phoned me saying 
Lee Clark's going to call you in the next like minutes. Just hang up and then speak to him. So Lee Clark phoned me says, where are you? I said, I'm literally just about to leave to go to Milton Keynes. Do not, don't go there. We're, uh, we're sorting out with do you want to come play the bummy? I was like, fucking hell, you're right, I do. <laughs> and I went up the Friday, couldn't train for insurance reasons. Hadn't played for since Crystal Palace game, so that was July, I think, and this was the end of August, the 1st of September or something. Hadn't played for about four or five weeks, not not a game. Hardly trained because I didn't want to train with him. And I went into Lee Clark's office, like, right, I've got, the, got this set up here, you're going to going to play right back tomorrow you're right with that I was like fucking hell adrenaline will get me through it it's fine but honestly it was the thing about Birmingham was Birmingham are they're a stubborn club which which worked in the players favours they're still living in the Premier League so the Premier League facilities they treat the players like Premier League players so so as a player there it was, oh, it was unbelievable amazing yeah and Lee Clark always seems to get a lot of stick from footballers, uh, football fans that haven't had him as a manager. How did you find him? I loved him. Yeah. Honestly, what you see is what you get. Do you know what? He's just overpassionate. And I didn't find out until I went to Bury under him that the pressures he was genuinely under. He was, he was listen, there was a hell of a lot going on in the background there with, with Carson Young, who was, I think his, his job was actually a hairdresser. He <laughs> <laughs> was a hairdresser who, was Budgie that owned the club and Lee Clark was getting emails left, right and centre. We we need to get rid of this one. We can't we can't have single rooms anymore. We've got our double rooms. We can't we can only travel to hotels that are three others or more and just little things that were just oh we need to sell Nathan Redmond, we need to sell Jack Butland. He was just getting people ripped off him left, right and centre. And that's why eventually in the second season we just had a team made up a League One and League Two players. Your time at Birmingham, it's, it's mostly, you know, quite comfortable mid-table, but there is that one season where you were the hero, weren't you, on the last day, in the last minute against Bolton Wanderers, which, as Benny asks, how good was the night out after keeping Birmingham up? I'm not boring. Actually, I don't drink. <laughs> Neither do I. Day no. Boring. Uh, we, oh, what a day. What an absolute day that was! Unbelievable. Uh, boys were were on it for about five days, uh, <laughs> and I remember, I'm boring last night. I went out for a couple of hours and then went home, and and we all lived in in an area called Dickens Heath and Solly Hill. It was it was about eight or nine days that stayed there, so we ended up just going to like the, the local place there, and and I went home, went to my, went, went to bed, and why in my bed? And I can and my missus woke me up, saying there's, there's people out the front shouting. I've opened up the door and there's like five or six of the lads' teammates singing singing my name and stuff like that. It was just fucking up. It was unbelievable. It was just a... What a feeling. It was... I, I, well, you could say it helped now because because we came through the other end, but we were getting told in the build-up to that from... We probably shouldn't have. Lee Clark tried his hardest to keep it away from us, but we are getting like directors and stuff like that saying like you need to realise how big this is for the club if we don't stay up. Staff are going to get made redundant. I've got more. So it was like a hell of a lot of pressure on us. And a club that size as well. You've seen what's happened. Albeit they're, they're on the way back up now, Portsmouth. But you've seen what's happened to clubs like that. And genuinely, I would have worried what, what would have happened to Birmingham if we did go down. But it was just a fucking... It's a hell of a day, man. Brilliant. Of course, there's not many rivalries like Celtic and Rangers. But because Birmingham has like the Birmingham and Aston Villa rivalry and there's plenty of teams in the Midlands. Did, did you get that similar feeling living in Birmingham as you did when you were in Glasgow? Uh, yeah, it brought back a bit of... But memories when I was younger, when when I stayed in Birmingham, you'd get Aston Villa fans that would I used to listen. They were 
13, 14, 15 year old kids that used to give you a bit of abuse and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's just all part of the course, and it? that's just part of being a footballer. But yeah, the rivalry was there, but we never really played against each other. We played against each other once in the cup. We we battered them to be fair, but they were in the the Premier League my first four years there. So when I, I never really I played against them once in the cup. We battled in the first half, and then Jack Grealish come on and changed the game. But uh, yeah, that rival was definitely there. But listen, the Swindon Oxford rivalry is there as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate like the so-called clubs in like League One and League Two. And that there's there's a rivalry there, especially with Swindon Oxford when they don't play each other that often. It becomes I, I find that when two clubs don't play against each other as often as like for instance Celtic Rangers is fierce, but they're used to playing against each other. See when it's a one off game and, and you've maybe not played against your rival for three or four years, it's, it can be nasty. But they're good <laughs> good times. Yeah, absolutely. And so Gary Rowlett replaced uh Lee Clark and he was a real hot prospect at that stage and then he kind of just lost his job due to the owners wanting Gianfranco Zola in. Were you were you there at that stage or had you yeah. already gone, yeah? Yeah, I was there uh, pre-season I dislocated my shoulder so I wasn't fit at the time but the boys were going really well I think we were fourth mm. uh, Gary Rowett had was very honest with us he came in maybe about f- the end of the, the end of the previous season saying Fulham are wanting him Fulham are interested in him he's going to speak to them came back lads not what I fancy I, I think we've got something special here that was fine went into the next season flying doing well and then he we had a few rumours that Nah, these trillion trophy Asia, I think they're called, or something. Trillion, some group had come in and take over the club, and literally they they were basically saying we have money and you need to spend it. And Gary Rowett's like, well, I'm happy with what I've got. If I need to spend it, then I'll spend it. And they're like, no, no. So they ended up they wanted a say and who was coming in, and the rest of it. And I think the, the relationship broke down a bit there, and it was really surprising that he left, and then Zola come in and. I was still injured at the time, and, and Zola was Zola was too nice, far too nice. The nicest man you'll meet in football. <laughs> but you had a guy, so you had Gianfranco Zola, hell of a career. Kazaragi, hell of a career, his assistant manager. And then you had a guy uh, who's the manager, well, was a manager of Crawley, Gabriel Choffey. Yep. He was the, the first-team coach, but he took absolutely everything from morning to, to night, everything. He run everything. And uh, Zola and Kazaragi would just stand at the side. And you th- and all due respect, listen, I'm fucking Mourinho and Wenger and all that hadn't played at the highest level, but some messages are better coming from people like, especially somebody like Zola and Kazaragi. But they were just too, they never really, never really got involved. It was more coming from Chioffi, who had played, like you say, it's not been disrespectful, but it's just, you know what I mean? Like when it's coming from people like that, you think, fucking hell. Yeah, it wasn't, and he was he was good. He he just said from the from the office, and I've been told that I need to spend money. I've got X, Y, and Z amount of money to spend, and I'm going to do it. If if you're here, then I won't ever. I'll treat you like a human being. I won't ever send you the reserves and like that. But it's entirely up to you if you if you want to move on. Because to be honest, eighty percent of the squad won't play, and he was right. He was he was totally right. He brought in about eleven, twelve players, and they all played. And there was only like three or four left from that year, so I respect them. 
Yeah. Actually, sent that message a couple couple of months ago, so it was nice. <laughs> so after Birmingham, it's is a couple of moves there. So you to Berry uh, again with Lee Cluck, as you mentioned before, and then after that, you joined Blackburn Rovers, huge club, but yeah. found themselves in the third tier where you play again under Tony Mowbray. That's a running theme in your career, isn't it? You do like playing for t- managers that you yeah, trust. Yeah, Lee Clark, like Tony Mowbray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, uh, I went in there on trial and. He liked what he's seen and great guy, very honest, told me from the off. Come in, uh, the owners have got pressure on me that I need to play the lad, Ryan Niambi, who was a young lad who the owners thought at the time they could sell for four or five million quid. So, listen, he's going to play, but I think that you can play a massive part in his career by helping him and just almost coaching with me. And I was like, but yeah, but I obviously want to play games, but... And I had I had played to start with. He obviously had an relationship, so I, I've got a lot of time for Tony Mowbray. Yeah, and then after that, of course, was was Bradford City, another big club, great attendances, and it just didn't work out that year, did it? It's it's one of those things that Bradford has been has been known for in recent years, where yeah. sort of yo yo like Swindon between League One and League Two. Yeah, definitely a huge club. We were we were struggling. We're getting eighteen between. Every Saturday is between seventeen and 20,000 fans here. Yeah. Ridiculous amount of turnout. Great club. Again, loved my time there because that was the first time in my career I, I had struggled for a club. So it was seven months without a club. No, three three months without a club, sorry, when I went to Bradford. Seven months after Bradford. Yeah. But uh, oh, it was a great club. It just it didn't work out. and I was a bit disappointed. In that. I, I, get, I was made captain there, actually. I've done it in there. Two months or something. The man that David Hopkins had moved on. Sorry, I was captain under David Hopkins for a bit, and then he had moved on, and then that the the guy took caretaker made me captain, and then Gary Gary Boyer come in, and I was a bit disappointed. It was, it was still about like there's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of talk in Bradford that I had been offered a deal. Listen, I'll tell you right now, if I'd offered a deal for Bradford, I'd have stayed. I enjoyed it. There was no reason why I wouldn't have. But I received like I got a letter which was, I was so disappointed in because it was a massive club and I thought surely that's wrong I got a, a letter with about 10 games to go I think we'd still had a hell of a chance of staying up at the time or maybe like 2 or 3 points for safety but I got a letter with 10 games to go at the time saying basically we're not renewing any contract and when you're finished at the end of the season you're finished and I thought to myself for fuck's sake wait till the end of the season at least still get 10 games going here and you're you're getting rid of me already and I was playing every week and it was, oh, it was just I was disappointed when I went and seen the manager and stuff like that and he, he said it had nothing to do with him but qualities of football that you, you yeah. get when you get older. You know, it doesn't make sense to tell first-team players that they're not going to be kept on when you're fighting for <laughs> for survival. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, And I had, I had spoke to my agent about it and he was like, it's poor, but that's nothing. It's not as if I downed tools or anything like that. I was still desperate. I always thought myself, well, if we can stay up, I've, I think I've, got, I've done all right to earn a, a potential contract for next year. I was, was, was it a contract? I was going to do everything I could to get one, but then when you receive that, it's a bit of kicking the, the balls. But listen, that's what happens. If they won, send me off. Every game, no problem. I will win this league anyway because my team is a strong team. They're worth, we play football. Even if they send me off, we win this league, no problem. And then there's this big gap. So what's happening b- between leaving Bradford and getting a trial at Swindon? Oh, tough, Rich. Very, very tough, man. Just 
getting too old. So he's, we're going to go for someone younger. Uh, there was a couple of clubs that that I had, I was going to go in and try out, and I'm listening. I won't name like certain people, but they were like, "Oh, we, the owners are keen on young players, but I'd love to have you. But if I bring you in, then I know that I'm going to have to sign you because your quality on the ball, and but it's going to push back this young lad that the owners try to push through, and it doesn't. And I get that the managers are trying to look after themselves at the same time as well. So yeah. it was, oh, it was. That's when I started getting really pissed off with the politics of football and age and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I get that I'm 30, 31 now, but I'm fucking no 50. I can yeah. still do I can still do a job. I'm, I've, I, my game's changed in the last 10 years now. I feel as if now, with the, the previous 300 games I've played, I'm a lot more intelligent in the head. I know when to make those long busting runs. I know when to just sit in and Listen, I've, I've played right back for years and I can't tell you the last time I put a tackle in. I just feel as if I always, like, just get myself in a good position. I've always got a chance. So if you if you can win the ball back without tackling, then what why bother fucking flying into tackles at you, mate? Do you know what I mean? It's just, I'm starting to be a bit more clever, so it was just, just pissing me off. It was frustrating. It was mentally tough. Very mentally tough. And I've, I've moved back home and I'd obviously I'm really close with Owen Doyle for, for Bradford but I kept really close with him and just things materialised for there a bit. Is it Paolo, Man- is it Paolo Maldini who said that if you're tackling you're out of position? <laughs> something like it might that. have been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so something like there that, you go it? then. Me and Paolo Maldini in the same sentence. Tremendous, huh? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Owen Doyle. So he scores all these goals for Swindon but we've also got him to thank for the return of Paul Caddis. So, I mean, I spoke to Richie Wellens last week and he he sort of gives me a little bit of the story that Owen says, well, Caddis wants to play. When when Doyle said, like, do you want to come down to Swindon? Were you like, yes, please? Or were you like, oh, well, I've already played and you never go back and things like that? Nah, I don't believe in that, to be yeah. honest. I don't believe in that. I was, when he initially told me, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, Doyle, you should have told me an hour early. I just run my nuts off in the treadmill. <laughs> I was fucking knackered. I'm thinking, I'm going to get in here tomorrow. Knackered. He's going to think I'm unfit. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but uh, I went straight in and I spoke to the manager and he was saying to me, like, how have you not got a club? Like, what's, what's the reason? And I trained the uh, trained the Friday before Plymouth. Played Plymouth on the Saturday, Drew what night uh-huh. was it? Yeah. Yeah. Doyle scored, dinked over the goalie, didn't he? Uh, played that, uh, trained the Friday, trained the Saturday. He's like, listen, come back Monday. Just train. He was honest again. Like that's all you asked for for him. I was just a bit honest. I've not got any. I've got absolutely zero cash, zero cash. And at the time, I was like, if you want to sign me, I don't mind if you get zero cash, because I knew that in the long run, having something is better than nothing. Albeit if it was for literally pennies. If it was just to cover my expenses, then albeit I knew that there would, might have been, if I get in and do well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's better that than sitting in my ass and doing nothing. Mm. So he's like, right, let's see what we can do. So I trained the Monday, trained the Tuesday, and he's pulled me in. He's like, we've done like a very tough running session on Tuesday, and I was, I was fit. I'm, I'm naturally fit as as much as my body shape, that might not tell you. But I'm naturally fit. I know I've just been, been brought up to, to work hard, and he's like, I, I love experienced players and you're so fucking old in the head and Doyle's just saying this and I just I, I need to try and get it to happen. What What's it going to take for me to get you in? I was like, honestly, like, I, 
it's not going to take much. So I end up not going to figures, but I end up starting to sound like a couple hundred quid, for instance. Mm. From from then until whenever I signed my new deal there in January, I was on pennies, which actually cost me the the point. But I I almost told my that almost driven me that little bit more. Think well, at least I'm playing games in it. And first couple of games, obviously, I didn't get in and. I was thinking, right, I get in and I do well, then there will be light at the end of the tunnel. If it's no way swinging, then it might be with somebody else. But at the end of the day, I'm there to care for my family and my kids and that. So I was thinking, if it's no way swinging, then hopefully it can be with somebody else. Because at the time, after about a week training with Swindon crew, but just out of nowhere, I had asked if I'd, if I'd sign there. And I had said, well, listen, I might have a chance of going back to Swindon. So almost like said to Richie listen is, is something going to happen and it happened and as I said it wasn't much but it got me back playing I think more mentally as well it just mentally it was it done me the world of good it just back playing games again back training every day and loved the manager loved everything about and loved the staff the boys were brilliant so but as you said about that going back to to when it was like uh, never go back somewhere that said like because I had a good time there before but Nah, I didn't didn't phase me at all. It it was funny when one when you were training because there was that gap in between as you as you've as you've already mentioned. But it was funny because when it was announced that Paul Caddis was coming back on trial, you you either had fans that you know fist pump brilliant, and then you had fans going, well, you know, what was he thirty six, thirty seven, and people yeah, were all just going, if I, I think so. Yeah, it's... people say to me, "What age?" I say, thirty. I'm like, "Fuck off! You've been about for years." <laughs> Fucking hell! Yeah. my white hair. And, and, it, and it happens still. Like, oh, he must be getting on. It's like, well, when you joined, you were thirty-one, which is plenty uh-huh. young to to play league two football, and it's and well, league one football, and plenty above uh-huh. that. And it was just very funny that and people's tune changed immediately once you know it doesn't take much to do a quick Google search nah. on someone's age, you yeah, know, know, but. But yeah, it, it, it was very, very bizarre. But one thing that that has been pretty plain, it's been a pretty seamless transition back to life at Swindon for you. And, I mean, one can only imagine that's that's down to the vibe at Swindon Town at the moment, which is very, very good. Yeah. It almost felt as if, see when I went back, it almost felt as if, I know it's just a bit cheesy, that like I'd never been away, but I, I missed all that from 2012 to 2020 all those shit times if you want to say that <laughs> in between I missed all those bits so I don't know I can't sit here and say oh, it was terrible for a fuck because I don't know what it was like I wasn't there yeah. so I left on a high and I've returned on a high so I've missed all that like I've done a supporters thing just before we broke up there and that's what I was saying like, they were like that's the questions you were asking what was it like coming back and it's like the same as what it was like when I left because I don't know any other I only know good things, albeit the first season was shit, but I only know good things at Swindon. And obviously, I came back and my magic touch and managed to go back to the top of the league my first day back, wasn't it? <laughs> so, for... <laughs> okay, well, we've got loads of questions um, from listeners to close this um, episode, which has been very, very interesting. I thank you for as much time as you've no contrib- contributed, but let's, let's get this well through. Yep. Let's whirl through these. So, Webby, Oliver Ball and Joe Vincent all had the same sort of question. Which do you prefer, Swindon Town 2012 or 2020? Uh, I'm very much love in the present, so 2020. I would say the 2012 team, great team, but 
there was I, I don't know in detail but I'd say there was a significantly high higher wage bill higher more more chance of getting players in if that makes sense compared to now I think more is to do in 2020 is to do with the manager and the players than what it was back in 2012 if that makes sense sure certainly does Charlie Halliday asks what's it like in the dressing room now compared to the De Canio era and Daz Smith says who's the better Swindon manager De Canio or Richie Wellens similar so the the dressing room thing is it's similar listen you don't get many dressing rooms that, that change but don't get me wrong but Richie Wellens has has got a I switch in him. I don't. He's a great manager, but he's very well. Like when he, he's one of those ones that when he speaks, you listen. He's he has got a has got a switch in him, which you need as a manager. But he's also got the, the staff behind him that Tommy Wright's got a switch in him. But Hunt is the the sentimental one that will bring everybody back down. Right, let's like the gaffer maybe have a right blast at half time. Then Hunt will bring it straight back up and go right, lads. We know what we need to do now. You know, you know, we know what we want from him and just stuff like that. So, uh, I think Richie Wellens will go on to have a better manager career than De Canio. So that's what how I would answer that. Sure. Paul asks, what would you say are the differences in coaching style between Wellens and De Canio, other than one being a mad Italian? And you've already mentioned a couple, but who do you keep in touch with from the De Canio era, other than Mr. Ferry and Mr. Richie? Yeah, one's a mad Italian and one's a mad mank. <laughs> uh, similar styles, both want to play football, both demanding. Uh, I would say Richie Wellens on a Friday comes to, well, he's, he's alive all week, but comes to life on, on shape and he leaves no stone unturned. Similar, exactly similar to the canal, so it's very difficult. I know this is sitting on the fence, very difficult to split the two of them because they're really similar. Uh, still speak to. Matty occasionally. Obviously, I'm really close with Sai. Rafa De Vita. Actually, Rafa De Vita and the goalie, remember, Matia? Yeah, they, they They lived with me, me and my partner, for seven months. At, at the time, they, they had just moved down to England. And they actually, I, I moved them in. I invited them in and they stayed for six, seven months with me and my partner. So, still speak to, to Rafa a Steve Jones asks, are there any attributes that Richie Wellens brings as a manager that are different to any other managers that you've played for throughout your career? Try to pick, try to think of one, try to pick one out. Okay. He's, oh, that's, that's hard to say because most of the managers you could say are the man and all the rest of the attributes. He probably, he, he, well, yeah, yeah, actually, do you know what? He has a plan for everything. A lot, of, a lot of managers in the modern day won't do shape anymore. Mm-hmm. They just, they, they just don't do it. They just turn up on a Saturday and say, "This is how they do it." But he's very much. I think footballers need to see everything on the pitch rather than on a. And he does both. We'll, we'll do a meeting in the morning on like a visual meeting, and then we'll go outside, and he will physically do it. So I think that attributes that will take him far. Because I think I'm not. Gonna, we're all the same we're, we're fickle we need to see something in front of us to understand it so to actually physically do it I think the attribute to to get a point across is I think second to none sure Connor Garrett asks have you noticed any big differences between the club in your first spell now that you're back similar to, uh, all the some staff are similar except from the obviously the, the the coaching staff and stuff like that but they're still same people back in the background same 
same uh, Caitlin ladies, there's the same Mark Isaacs is still there. Uh, you you recognise the, the, the fans that are still there, obviously football Phil, but <laughs> he's he's been banned I've heard since. Uh, so it's it's very similar. It is very similar. Which I think I prefer it that way. I enjoy it that way because it makes me think of the good times. Yeah. Brandon Neal asks, was there a player that looked the business in training but his Swindon career never quite took off? Yeah, the one that comes to mind for me is John Bostock. Mm-hmm. John Bostock training was fucking unbelievable. He was decent. He had a few decent games with us, but you could tell with all that hype he had at Spurs and stuff like that, he was a hell of a player, but I just, I just don't think John Bostock fitted in. I think we tried, the Canio tried him sometimes in a two in midfield. He, he didn't have the legs for it. He tried him in the hole, but we were almost better at times with two up. And it was just uh, John Bostock, I would say. Yeah. Josh Strange asks, what's your three favourite moments playing for Swindon? Number one would be obviously winning the league, league mm-hmm. two. Uh, as much as it was only like two or three minutes, but that feeling when I came back and played against Salford was, was brilliant. And the my home my second home debut, believe it or not, my second one yeah. was yeah those three I would say. Nice. Webby asks, how much pleasure would it give you to potentially win the League Two title again? I've, I'm selfish here. I want to. Uh, I believe that if we win the league, I'll be the first player in Swindon's history to win two league titles. Yeah. You'll probably know better than me. Is that true? It's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So in a selfish way, it would oh, it'd be an unbelievable honour to to be in the history books really at a club that I've got a great relationship with so for that reason I want the, the league to keep going and I want us to win it and, because I'm selfish Fingers crossed Kian asks uh, if promotion is achieved how do you think our current squad will fare in League 1 do you think we'll need many additions or are we strong enough to be successful well you know we know that there'll be additions regardless but how do you think this side would do in League 1 yeah I think I, I think the manager will probably bring additions but I, I think we'd do alright I Honestly, do I think? Listen, I've not seen Dion Conroy, but what I've heard, he's a hell of a player. We've still got Keshi Anderson, who's a hell of a player to get back to full fitness and back on it. Uh, so I think this the squad that the manager's brought in for what he's had, potentially for what he's like budget wise, not got. I think I think he's I think he's been clever. I think he's almost knew that if we do go up, he might not get vast amount of money so he's got a squad in place that can be competitive in League One mm. Alex Acklam asked for an 11 but we'll narrow it narrow it down with Jay Collett's suggestion of an all-time Swindon 5-a-side team plus manager so who would be in your Swindon 5-a-side oh Jesus uh, tough one way because Bender's unbelievable but Wes Fodrum I just felt like every time if somebody managed to get in behind our defence, I just always thought they won't score. Mm. Wes was brilliant for us that year. Yeah. Uh, so Wes would bring goals and then I'd probably play five or side, I'd need to play a, a one two one. Uh, so at the back, fucking hell on a five or side. I'm, I'm can I put myself in? You can do it, if you, whatever you want. I'm all young. Uh, <laughs> at the back, I'd probably put Hunty, Rob Hunt. Mm-hmm. Left and right foot's unbelievable. Uh, in the middle, I'd go obviously Sai Ferry and I'd put Matty in beside him. But a flair, Sai, but a passing ability up top. It'd have to be Doyler, but an honourable mention again to Paul Benson. But the, the Doyler, Doyler just especially this year's fire. Yeah, Paul Hart manager. 
Paul Hart or uh, <laughs> Paul Bowden. No, I'm not joking. Bowden was good. He was only there for two games. Uh, manager would be Richie Williams. There we go. Matt B is one of many people to ask the next question. Is it true that you hate Oxford as per the song? <laughs> oh, I'm not Oxford's biggest fans, let's say that. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't hate anybody, but I don't like them. <laughs> is it true that you almost joined them once? Uh, no, that. Oh, yeah, well, there was talk. I, I know that, listen, I know the, the coach there, Derek Fizarkley, very well was Birmingham when I was there, so he did ask if I wanted to go, but that was politely rejected. Lovely stuff. Jack Sansom asks, can you confirm or deny Cy Ferry's story that you used to smuggle McDonald's onto the team bus for away matches? I can confirm that happened once. And it was fucking delightful. I could smash one right now, actually. Dan Jackson wants to know if you have any Cy Ferry stories or story we haven't got all night. Oh, <laughs> uh, we've not got all night, exactly. Uh, oh, fuck, I've got loads, obviously, being so close to him. I'm trying to think. The, the, obviously, the one where he's run out of the pitch, everybody can see. That's not really a story for me to tell, but you see the one he's run on the pitch with his pants and stuff like that. It still blames me to this day. I was always the the instigator behind, so I would I'd be the brains that I'd tell Sai what to do, and he'd fucking be stupid thinking it wouldn't do it, be stupid enough to do it. But I can't honestly, off the top of my head, I couldn't I couldn't rattle like one story off about them. You end up linking them to other stories, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, the fact that you're responsible for the underwear um, is probably mm. a scoop in its own right. Christopher asks, "Is the at pcaddy two really your Twitter handle?" And who's the best player that you've played alongside at Swindon? Absolutely not. I've never had Twitter. I've never had any social media. I'm all for it, but I'm I'm saying I'm all for it, but I'm massively against it. I don't I don't like it. I think it's it seats to the wrong person. I, I don't like it. I don't have it. No, the answer's no. It's not mine. And sorry, what's the next one? The question is, who's your favourite player you've played alongside? Favourite player? Uh, I'll say. Gary Caldwell at Celtic because he was a massive help to me. Nice. Alex Carter says, what is your favourite career goal? Well, Birmingham last minute. Yeah. TJ Meerkat asks, what's your greatest assist that you've ever made? Oh, I can't remember of assist, but the, the one I can remember off the top of my head is the one Plymouth away. It yeah. just was a great day. So, uh, yeah, I'll go for that one. Yes, definitely. Please do. Um, some daft questions to end now. Um, Jam sandwich, lots of jam sandwich stuff. Mm. I think that comes from the open goal. <laughs> Helen Dolman, Andrew Dyson, and Henry says, "What's your favourite flavour of jam, and what's your least favourite?" It's got to be strawberry jam, isn't it? <laughs> and least favourite, fucking something like blackcurrant or something. <laughs> Carl asks on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love jam sandwiches? Eleven. <laughs> and this is because you were vegan for a little while, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm the fussiest man ever, so. I was vegan for like six months when I was at Blackburn and all I, all I was eating was jam sandwiches when I was getting peckish. <laughs> uh, Darren Dunn asks, would you rather score the winner against Oxford or winner against Rangers? And what's your favourite pub down the Gallagate? But I don't think you have one. Nah, but be the winner against Oxford. Last, last day get us promoted and get them relegated lovely stuff and Pete Marsh says what's your opinion on Iron Brew oh 
best thing since sliced bread. And that's saying a lot because I love jam sandwiches. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Iron Brew. Um, my stepdad is Scottish, so it's been around oh, my life for many, many oh, years. You must, love, you must love square sausage as well, do you? Absolutely adore oh, my God. them. Um, went to my cousin's in Edinburgh a couple of years ago, and I just oh, I almost stayed because of the uh, oh. the food up there. Absolutely amazing. Um, what, what's your opinions on the new on the new recipe with Iron Brew? Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> you go back to oh, but the new they've brought the, so basically I've tried to bring another one out, which is called Iron Brew. I think it's called Nineteen O One. So they're trying to go back to basically just loading it with sugar again. Oh, man. As long as it's cold. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's it. Thank you very much, Paul. That, no was, problem, that was fun. Mitch. Thanks for taking part. No problem. It's been a pleasure. The Love Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.